0: Hello everybody, welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I am your host, One Thomas Jackson, and we are through the regular season. Finally we made it. Uh, we got the playoff rankings that came out on Sunday, so since I had to skip the episode last week... My sincerest apologies. Life caught up with me a little bit after my Thanksgiving travels with work and social stuff and a little bit of a sickness, but we are back and good to go now. So um, we will quickly recap on Rivalry Week, talk about what happened this past Saturday on Championship Week do a quick little preview of the playoffs and everything else that has been going on in the college football world. Of course, all the off-the-field news is running 1,000 miles per hour per usual at this time of the year. So, a lot to get to. Not having, don't have time to get into everything off the field, um, but I'll at least get into a little bit of the big coaching hires that have happened, um, the NIL stuff. I mean, that could be its own, ep- or not NIL, excuse me, the transfer portal stuff. Could be its own episode, hour-long, every single day with all the news that's coming out right now. So can't get to all of it, um, but we will talk about, let's see, the schedule going forward. So that is what's happening on this episode going forward. Sometime around Christmas time, I will do another episode uh, looking in a deeper fashion at the playoffs and some of the other big, interesting bowl games um, that are coming up. After that, we will do a recap after the semifinals and wrap things up after the national championship game like last year. Um, Let's see. What else do we have going on here? Congratulations to my little brother, Will, on winning the first ever season-long Hummus Tailgate Party Pick'Em Challenge. Um, Will did a great job. Him and Nate were neck and neck all year. Nate fell off just a little bit at the end of the season, and Ann Dillon actually ended up tying him in second place. So good job to everybody. Thanks for playing along. Um, like last season, we are going to do a bowl pick'em group this year. I might do a small little like $10 buy-in for this one. Um, we'll see. But the first bowl game is next Friday, December the 16th with the Bahamas Bowl. It's always an interesting, dramatic one. So keep an eye on Twitter and Instagram over the next couple of days as I will post a link to the Bull Pick'Em. Um, it'll be on ESPN, so you can just use the same account as the regular season or last season uh, with the bowl Games. So that should be nice and easy. Um, I'm thinking I'll do a $10 buy-in, so I'll post whatever the final verdict is um, on that, and we will get everybody situated before next Friday when the game starts Um, And with that, we will move straight into the week 13 super, super fast recap. (laughs) Of course, the big one from this Saturday um, was Michigan knocking off Ohio State 45 to 23. This game uh, felt a lot like the one last year. Michigan this year had even more big explosive plays um, than they did in the game when it was in Ann Arbor. Last season, the final score is very similar. I think Ohio State feels very similar after the fact as they did a year ago, and you know, As I spoke with Kayshawn, as I believed all season, everyone was just kind of waiting for Ohio State. Just, all right, like, they're kind of messing around. They're in a bunch of close games with teams that don't have near the talent that they do. Like, what's going on? It's okay. It's okay. You know, I just, I thought that they would be able to just uh, flip the switch for the Michigan game. Like we talked about, that's what they look forward to. 365 days a year and uh, they were not able to turn that switch on you know they did have a lot of injuries but you know Michigan did too everyone does at this point in the season Michigan was missing there should have been Heisman finalist running back Blake Corum with the slight snub there from the committee Um, but he was not able to play in the last two and a half games of the season so that was too bad Um, but a lot of questions here where I mean you know Spoiler alert, Ohio State still made the playoff because of what Utah did to USC, but it's a very fair question to ask, where does Ohio State go from here? They were supposed to fix all of these problems um, over the offseason with the new defense and everything, and this game felt very similar to last year. So, I don't know, if if they just come out and get blow, get blown, Georgia blows the door, doors off of them, then Uh, There's going to be a lot of questions in Columbus surrounding the future of the program and the future of Coach Ryan Day uh, going forward. With all that being said, we have to give Michigan their roses. I mean, I thought last year was just the perfect storm of, you know, great line plays, some defensive studs, and, you know, maybe everything just falling into place like you need it to sometimes to win the conference in a division as good as that one is in the Big Ten East. But Michigan came out and replicated it again, and uh, they look even better than they were last year, which I was not expecting at all. I thought Michigan would be a you know, 9 or 10 win team this year. I didn't think that they would have a bad year, um, but I, I, w- I did not expect them to make it back to this point and to be able to put the beat down on Ohio State for two straight years. So much like in the SEC, you know, is there a changing of the guard uh, at foot? We'll see here over the next few weeks and, you know, on into next season when you have someone that's been on top of their conference as long as Ohio State has. I don't think a two-year span is enough to say, oh, well, you know, they're done, it's over, it's Michigan's conference now. But uh, the way things are looking, you know, Michigan, they just completely bullied – Ohio State on all of these big plays and even without their best running, the best player on their team, were able to go into the horseshoe and win this one by over three touchdowns. So once again, credit to Michigan and Harbaugh. Uh, Things looked very, very different two years ago in Ann Arbor. And it's honestly shocking the level at which they have turned this thing around to for now two straight seasons. It's one thing to do it once, but to do it, you know, a second time back-to-back especially. It's not like they took a four-year gap in between winning the conference and making the playoff and everything. But you know, last year, they beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten. They made it to the playoff, but then they weren't very competitive in the playoff. Now this year, instead of looking at Georgia right in the face in the semifinal as the big, heavy underdog, they're the favorite against TCU. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you know they're 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 completely expected to make it to the title game would they be favored to beat georgia or even ohio state no they would not be um as weird as that may sound some look a look ahead lines have come out if michigan and ohio state were to play each other ohio state would still be favored um that's vegas's thing not me um but yeah we'll, we'll discuss the possibility of that happening shortly uh interesting though very interesting also in Week 13, rivalry week, the ACC completely knocked themselves out of the playoffs. Per usual, very Pac-12-ish, outside of, you know, Clemson making it. Not for a couple years now, however. Um, let's see. NC State beat North Carolina 30-27. to The I mean... <sighs> UNC should have won this game. They were a six, and seven, six or seven point favorite, um, but with how unpredictable and up and down both of these teams have been um, this season, it's this outcome doesn't really shock me. North Carolina, no defense at all. You know, even against a disheveled NC State offense, still giving up thirty points. They didn't deserve to make the playoff or be in the discussion. It was only because they were sitting around with still only two losses somehow with a chance to knock off Clemson um, in the ACC title game, which, spoiler, didn't happen. Not even close. So, you know, they were the longest of long shots to backdoor into the playoffs, so that fixed itself real quick on Friday of rivalry week. And then one of the most shocking, maybe the most shocking outcomes of rivalry week, South Carolina defeated Clemson 31 to 30. Shane Beamer and the Cox on an absolute heater to end the season. <clears throat> they play Notre Dame um, in their bowl game. Let me see what which one that is here real quick. They're in the Gator Bowl. Um, <laughs> find me back in the Cox on that one because they, I mean, it's just amazing how, you know, I mean, before the season, if you listen to the season preview, I said, they feel like they could be a frisky underdog and, you know, maybe beat a team here or there that they, you know, like a Kentucky type is what I was thinking, which they did. I was not thinking someone to the caliber of what Tennessee turned into or Clemson, even though Clemson, no one was impressed by Clemson standards this year, but still, just the, the sheer talent disparity in that one is uh, really impressive how South Carolina was able to end the season get, getting to eight wins. So um, amazing job there by Shane Beamer and they'll try to get to nine wins with the big, big game against the Fighting Irish there in Jacksonville. LSU, they knocked themselves out, courtesy of our guy Jimbo. Texas A&M beat the fighting LSU Tigers 38-23 to in College Station that Saturday night. Um, you heard me and Kayshawn say, we just thought this one would be weird. I predicted LSU to win, but not cover. Kayshawn predicted them to straight up lose flat out as 10-point favorites, and he was spot on. They lost by 15, and it wasn't even that close. So, you know, sometimes... you. Some games that involve LSU or Jimbo or Auburn or, you know, Pac 12 after dark type of thing. You just know shit's going to get a little weird. And LSU is definitely one of those teams when it's at College Station at night. You know, I don't want anything to do with the Tigers. So that game, I didn't see too much of it. But, you know, if there was any chance of LSU backing into the playoff as a two loss conference champion, it was squashed. That night before we even got to conference Saturday, so in championship week that just happened, there were you know really four games that had playoff intrigue. The ACC title game didn't matter at all with uh, Clemson and North Carolina both losing in the last week of the regular season. As I just said, the heavy favorites Georgia and Michigan played LSU and Purdue respectively, and those games were not expected to be close, and they weren't close, so I'm not really going to spend any time. They took care of business. They did what they were supposed to do. Then the two more interesting games were Friday night in the Pac-12 in Vegas. That doesn't sound like a weird one at all, does it? U- Utah uh, defeated USC 47-24, to and then the next morning, first thing after the unfortunate USA result, Kansas State defeated TCU. to in overtime. So those were the ones, those spreads were both within a field goal, um, and they lived up to the hype, except for the Pac-12 game, which ended up being a blowout, just not in the way that I think a lot of people would have expected. So (laughs) USC came out super hot on Friday night, and it looked like, oh man, you know, maybe they really are that locked in. Uh, people said it all season with the new coaching staff and all the new transfers and everything. There are just a lot of new faces in Los Angeles for that program. And, you know, they had a couple close results at the beginning of the season, but it seems like they were just getting better and better as any championship caliber team should throughout the season. They had a really tough close for the regular season with... Their game at, you know, quote unquote, at UCLA and then Notre Dame. So, this was their third Saturday in a row with a tough quality top 25 opponent. And uh, they crashed and burned. USC got up 17 to three. And that was like early in the second quarter. And my Utah Pac 12 future was looking quite grim. Um, but after that, Utah came back. And I think at one point they made it 27 to three before USC was able to show any sign of life. They beat USC, if you forgot, USC's one loss in the regular season was a one-point loss at Utah back in October. They say in any sport, but especially in college football, it's hard to beat a good team twice. This is absolutely true. Um, history tells us that it's that's the case, you know, and Utah was able to come out, get a close win at home the first time, and then this, this past Friday, they just absolutely put the womp on USC. It was a complete beatdown in the second half. Uh, USC had one of the worst tackling performances that I've literally ever seen in my entire life. ESPN in the second half kept flashing up stats. At one point, it was at 25 or 26 missed tackles for the Trojan defense. I don't know if it ended up at that. That was in the fourth quarter, so it, you know it probably got closer to 30 by the end of things. But it was just... Truly baffling how just the arm tackling and play after play, Utah started just gashing them every time they gave it to a tight end or a running back. It was like just a simple little play, run up the middle or a tight end just down the seam, nothing special, and the guy would just break four tackles, look like Superman, and score seven. So um, it was really, really wild, and it makes you wonder how bad it could have gotten against a physical force like Georgia or Michigan. So I think it's a good thing that we don't have to waste one of those four playoff spots on USC because it would have been like this on steroids if they played one of those top two teams. Um, You know, I mean, props to Lincoln Riley for getting this team. I mean, they were bad last year. There's no doubt about that, but he flipped this team very fast. They obviously still have work to do, but an 11-2 season at this point, they're going to play in the Cotton Bowl versus Tulane. I wonder how up they'll be for that one, but, uh, you know, I mean – All jokes aside, it is impressive how fast he was able to turn the offense around, but this looked just like one of his Oklahoma teams. The defense was just an abomination, and they're going to have to get that fixed and fixed fast, or else this is going to be like an every Saturday thing when they move to the Big Ten because they got some big, strong boys up there. It it ain't Pac-12 football. So congrats to Utah on a second straight Pac-12 championship Um, It's a shame that they had some injury issues earlier in the season and suffered too many losses in the regular season to uh, really be in the playoff hunt late down the stretch. But they earned their second straight uh, uh, Rose Bowl berth and will play Penn State, which should be a really good physical game. So I'm looking forward to that one. Congrats to the Utes. Kansas State defeated TCU 31-28 to in overtime in the Big 12 championship game. This is, well, this proves it's hard to beat a good team twice because TCU defeated K-State. I think the final of that one was 27-37 to or 38-28, something like that. Uh, the Trojans got down big in that game in the regular season, um, but... They were able to come back and win that game to keep their undefeated season alive. This time, however, the Wildcats were able to avenge that and close the door on the Horned Frogs, not the Trojans. This was a pretty entertaining game. Kansas State looked like they were going to run away with the thing and get up multiple scores in the third quarter, but Max Duggan, I mean, just a really stellar performance. He was getting killed out there. He was clearly really beaten up in the fourth quarter, and he just completely willed TCU back in this game to force it to overtime as they were down double digits, multiple points in the uh, second half. Um, At the end of the day, these teams are very, very similar. Um, so it's kind of fitting that this game went to overtime. I think that, you know, since TCU was able to win every other game this year, which most of them were as close as this one, they were able to afford the close loss here and stay in the top four and they deserve it. You know, I mean, the big 12 was, you know, really pretty impressive this season. They had a a lot of tough, gritty wins. So even though they suffered this loss, just the fact that it wasn't a blowout loss, To the Wildcats, you know, was fine in the committee's eyes, which it should have been. So the top four was pretty easy to get this year. You know, Bama fans, of course, after Utah, after Utah pulled the upset on Friday night, everybody knew with Ohio State being five and Bama being six that Ohio State was going to slide in over USC. It would have taken a complete beat down, like I'm talking 21, 24 points at least for Kansas State, for I think there to be a legitimate discussion over TCU and uh, Bama. But, you know, since the, since the Horn Frogs were able to get back in that game and push it to OT, and if you saw the overtime, TCU really got hosed by the refs there. So if they score that touchdown, then who knows who ends up coming out on top um, if they score that touchdown. If the refs counted the touchdown that they scored is what I mean. <laughs> so, But, uh, yeah, congrats to TCU, their first ever – um, bowl or playoff appearance there, and we'll get right into it. They play Michigan. Um, these Both of these games are on New Year's Eve. Michigan is an eight-point favorite over TCU. This will be played in Arizona at the Fiesta Bowl. I think that's in Glendale... I think Glendale, maybe Scottsdale. Glendale sounds right. Um, 3 o'clock Central. No Blake Corum for Michigan. Um, Nothing new here, but it was confirmed that he was out for the whole season, unfortunately, before the Big 12 championship game. Uh, As amazing as he was all year, it hasn't really mattered too much for the Wildcats that he was out because they've been able to plug and play their other running backs and uh, do just fine against Ohio State and Purdue and even Illinois, the first game that CORM uh, went out. So I think that they'll be okay against the Horned Frogs defense that has – You know, been impressive in a couple games, but for the most part, not not too tough of an opponent. So this is, like I said, TCU's first ever appearance, and this is the second straight appearance. Uh second ever and second straight for the Wolverines. You know, last year. I feel like they just kind of had eyes wide open. So glad we made it. And congrats you get this pissed off, angry Georgia team in the semifinal. And, you know, we all saw how that went, not very well for Michigan, but this year feel like they've got the experience you know they they kind of expected to be here even if not all of us did whereas last year was a lot bigger of a surprise that they made it this far past Ohio State so you know my early lean tells me Michigan I think TCU's offense is good enough to keep in an interesting game Um, but I do think that Michigan has the edge here Um, so I agree with Vegas in that you know little over a touchdown spread feels about right to me. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll get more into these playoff games down the road when I do another episode here in a couple weeks about Christmas. So just a quick preview. And then Ohio state will travel to Atlanta. Congrats to play Georgia. So Georgia is a six and a half point favorite here in the Chick-fil-A peach bowl. This one starts at seven o'clock central. So that's eight Eastern. So those dogs fans will have all day to get ready for this one. (laughs) Um, I I really wonder who Kirby would have rather played between TCU and Ohio State. It's interesting to me that Georgia, who at least all season has been viewed as the superior team to Michigan, you know, maybe now it's a little bit closer then it, well, I'm sure it, I'm sure it is a little bit closer. Georgia, I saw the look ahead line would still be mm, a six or seven point favorite over Michigan. So the fact that Michigan's a bigger favorite over TCU tells me that Georgia got a little hosed here, only being a six and a half point favorite over Ohio State. I bet if you ask Kirby, he would probably rather play TCU, just be, even though Ohio State looked awful in the Michigan game, and Georgia could probably do the exact same thing to them. Ohio State now has five weeks to get healthy, and that was, you know, not that a couple more players would have probably changed the game in the game, but Ohio State, if they can get, you know, their wide receivers and their running backs back and healthy, and just having another week to pre- prepare and rest up than all of these other three playoff teams did, that could make them a, mu- a much tougher opponent than we saw against Michigan a couple weeks ago. So that's something to think about. Uh, one interesting progression here, Jackson Smith Najigma uh, declared for the NFL draft after he had uh, injuries just bog him down all season. It was We've never seen anyone do this before that maybe, you know, was thought that he was possibly going to be able to play in the playoff. But he went ahead and said, I'm done. I'm just going to stay healthy and prepare for the draft. So Ohio State won't have him, whether he could, you know, be ready to go before New Year's Eve or not. Um, yeah, but like I said, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, with all of them playing on this last Saturday, they have exactly four weeks to rest up and prepare for the semifinal. Whereas Ohio State plays, uh, did not play on Saturday, so they have five weeks. So they have an extra week of rest, one more, one less game. Um, you know, just to get banged up and guys injured and everything. So. It's not. It's it'll be interesting to watch how many of these guys they can get back. Like Kayshawn said a couple weeks ago, they've just had injury problems all season long. Um, but if they can get a few a few pieces back in the puzzle, then um, yeah, I think Ohio State is going to look like the scarier opponent than TCU on New Year's Eve. So you know, I know on if anyone listens to the Andy Staples podcast, they say that instead of the playoff committee picking who's number three and who's number four. They wish that they could just let the number one seed coach pick who they're going to play. It would be great drama on TV and everything, kind of add some disrespect into the equation. But, you know, as the number one seed, you should be able to pick who you want to fucking play because right here, Georgia, you know, according to Vegas, got kind of gypped, so... It's uh, it's an interesting thought. Of course, this will all go away, uh, not entirely, but this format will go away here in a couple couple years with the 12-team playoff coming very, very soon. Um, but yeah, the the committee says, oh, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't take into account a possible Ohio State-Michigan rematch. I've always thought that little song and dance they do is kind of bullshit. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I can see TCU being ranked third in the country, but I I think Georgia probably would have rather had the Frogs. So we'll see. But, of course, you know, the elephant in the room with these playoffs, if Ohio State can get some guys back and pull off the upset in Atlanta, then it's likely going to be a Ohio State-Michigan national title game Never seen anything like that in the history of college football. Um, It just kind of off the top of the head reminds me of the Duke-UNC Final Four that we got last April in New Orleans and would just be unparalleled drama. So I am rooting for that. But uh, yeah, may the best teams win. We'll go deeper into it all here in a couple weeks. But that's just, just some first quick little... Initial thoughts, that'll be out um, probably a couple days before or after Christmas. Like I said, the transfer portal has been going absolutely crazy. Um, I don't even know where to begin, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but there have been some really massive names like DJ Ongoing... Oh, my God. The Clemson quarterback. You know who I mean. So sorry. I I can never get that out right. But um, he's transferring... I think they made it clear at the end of the season they weren't happy with the offense. Cade Klubnick is going to be the guy going forward. So he's in the portal. Some other big names like North Carolina's Drake May, who was very close to being a Heisman finalist. Um, I mean, Alabama alone has had a handful of offensive linemen and wide receivers. Enter the portal. I can't believe they don't want to stick around and possibly play for Bill O'Brien one more year. Um, JT Daniels is going to be on his like eighth team as he just entered the transfer portal from West Virginia. Um, that's just a few off the top of the head. I didn't even write any down. But yeah, I'm sure there's a thousand more that I'm missing. Some quick head coaching news. Um, three main hires that took place since we last chit-chatted on here. The big one that I'm going to lead off with, Deion Sanders is coming out to Boulder, uh, right up the road for me. I couldn't be more thrilled about this. I've adopted Colorado as kind of a second team ever since I moved out here a few years ago, but they have been one of the worst teams this year, literally like the worst power five team in the entire country. So I am overjoyed for the Buffs and Dion. I did not see this coming from a million miles away. Um, of course, he's made a lot of news and done really well at Jackson State down in Mississippi, but it was always thought that he'd met, you know, Auburn. There was a lot of chit-chat about him going to the Plains. We'll talk about them in a second, uh, but, you know, them or some caliber Mostly in the South, uh, where he's familiar with and everything, where thought to be the type of programs that could maybe take a chance on him and land D on. Colorado really came out of left field. Um, I think now, with how loose the transfer rules are and everything – and how bad this roster was to begin with, that he took over. I think they went 1-11 and this past season. He is going to absolutely overhaul this thing uh, this spring and summer, and I think the Buffs could be, you know... They're 1-11 this year, so there's a lot of work to do. But with guys being able to transfer in and play immediately, I think he'll have the buffs to at least a fun status next year. And I could see them, you know, being a national player here in the next three, four seasons. So this is a very cool program out here that, I mean, they have – Probably the most beautiful stadium that I've ever been to, right, at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and the Flatirons. The campus is stunning. The weather is great for most of the year. Uh, Late in the season, we get some great, you know, cold football weather and everything. But it's just such a cool program that I feel like most people that are my peers don't totally realize because it's been so long since they've been competitive on a consistent basis. But back in the nineties, I mean, they were the shit. They won a national championship. I believe it was like 1990 or 91. And, uh, I mean, cool uniforms, colors, you know, Ralphie, the whole nine yards. So I've already been shopping around for some Colorado merch, and we'll definitely be talking about them a lot more next year, but, uh, could not be more thrilled for, for Boulder and the buffs and Dion. So really excited to have him out here um, Luke Fickle, huge, huge, huge get for the Wisconsin Badgers here. Of course, you know, Wisconsin, I think this is a great job. I really love this fit. It was, you know, over the past few years when he's gotten sincey nationally relevant and everything, it's been pretty much just a foregone conclusion by all the big national media people that he was only going to take uh, Big Ten, not Specifically, Big Ten, but a Midwestern job. Um, I guess he just desired to stay in the region and all the power to him. But, you know, when Michigan was maybe going to come open last year, he was being talked about. You know, he's kind of talked about for Notre Dame and Michigan State the past couple of seasons. And it was, you know, kind of clear like, okay, Michigan, now they're probably not opening up for a long time. Ohio State. Still, probably not. I think they'll calm down and be just fine with Ryan Day. But Wisconsin has been one of the most consistently stable and successful programs for my entire life. I mean, they just, all they do, with the exception of the past couple years, and this is why they are just hired a new coach. But, you know, up until 2019, all Wisconsin ever did was mess around and win 9-10 games every single year. A lot of seasons make it to the Big Ten title game. Normally get crushed there by Ohio State, but like once every four or five years, you know, pull the upset. So... They're not really a team that you think of as like playoff caliber per se, um, but they are very much in that kind of second tier where you put like the Penn States and the Michigan States and, you know, like this year's Utah type of team, like that type of squad. That um, They they, uh, they just seem to be very stable up there in Madison. Uh, a couple of my coworkers went to Wisconsin and I've always, you know, kind of liked them since I started Working with these guys, it's just it's just a great program from top to bottom, from what I can tell. You have a passionate fan base um, with reasonable expectations. I don't think a lot of places in the country can really say that, um, but I think it's the full package. I think that he can do incredibly well there. Um, just you know, I think it's one of the best jobs in America. Like we said a couple weeks ago, what do you consider a great job? Do you consider it like? Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama type of thing? Or do you consider it like Kentucky, where you can go in and have some flexibility and have reasonable expectations and have great security? I think Wisconsin's one of these places. Like, no, the ceiling isn't as high as an Ohio State or a Georgia or a Bama, but the ceiling of happiness and stability, I think, is about as high as you can get anywhere in the country. And uh, so for that... Congratulations to Luke Fickle. We've been kind of waiting to see where he would end up, and uh, I think he'll be able to keep this job as long as he wants, maybe until a bigger school uh, comes calling one day, or maybe he just rides this job into the sunset and just dominates the Big Big Ten West for the next couple decades. We'll see, but excited for both parties here. Cincinnati replaced him with Scott Satterfield from Louisville. He's been on our hot seat watch for... At least this whole season, I think last year too. Um, So about time, I think him and Louisville were about sick of each other. And uh, now he will take over uh, a good situation in Cincinnati with the Bearcats that Luke Fickle left behind. And lastly, of course, Auburn hires a Auburn man through and through Hugh Freeze to take the reins on the Plains. There is simply too much to get into with this this one. I'm hungry and it's almost dinner time for me. I am not going to get into all of this tonight, but maybe if I do an off-season recap or anything, we'll dive deeper into the whole Hugh Freeze thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's too much to unpack for right now. So we'll wrap things up here this Saturday. Um, you know, kind of the weird random last Saturday of the season before we take a small little break for the bowl games, army Navy at two o'clock central. Let's see where this game is. They've been changing it around a little bit the past few years. Okay, it's in Philly. I can't remember if it was there or um Baltimore last year, but either way, Navy is a one and a half point favorite in this one. The over under is a whopping thirty two and a half um. <laughs> Uh, There's some stat about the unders when the the service academies play play each other. I'll try to find that. I know I saw it for the, I think, Army Air Force game, but I'll try to tweet that out in case it can help anybody make any decisions for their bet slip on Saturday. So looking forward to that one. Always one of the best games of the year. And then on Saturday night, we have the Heisman. Um, We have the finalists of Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, Max Duggan, and Stetson Bennett. It looks like this one. I mean, spoiler alert, turn it off if you want to be surprised if you care that much on Saturday night. But uh, it. Caleb Williams is a lock as far as the betting lines go. He's 2500 That means you would have to bet $2,500 just to profit $100 if he were to win. Um, otherwise, the next... Shortest, whatever best odds are Max Duggan at plus 2,000, which for the non-betters out there is a very long shot. Cesson Bennett at plus 3,000, way longer shot. And CJ Stroud at plus 5,000, way, way, way long shot. So yeah, it's, it's basically decided already. It'll be Caleb Williams. A uh, early congratulations to him on a really great season, even though USC's defense let them down big time. Uh, he played his ass off all year long. It was a lot of fun to watch him. And, uh, you you know, even though they didn't get it done in the Pac-12 championship game, if you watch the second half of that, I mean, dude, I don't know if it was a hamstring or what, but he was basically on one leg, still throwing absolute darts, keeping his team, you know, somewhat into that game until his defense broke, you know, or (laughs) missed 18 more tackles and Utah was able to just really run away with it in the fourth. But that seems like it's a wrap in New York. That's it for now, folks. Um, like I said, keep a, keep an eye on the Twitter and Instagram for the link to the bowl challenge and details regarding that. Um, yeah, and we will talk around Christmas time. Everybody have safe travels for the holidays and whatnot. Thanks for listening and uh, chat soon. Bye-bye.